Hey guys, just before I launch into this episode, I wanted to tell you really quick, this is split into two parts. Um, one part focuses on the movie, uh, and then the other half focuses on mental health and how the movie kind of relates to it. Um, so if you only want to hear the mental health part, if maybe you already have heard enough reviews and read enough reviews of the movie, you could skip ahead around, uh, I'm going to say like the 55, 54, 55 minute mark. And I might say 54 just to be safe. Um, you can skip to that and you should be good. Um, otherwise, you can listen to the whole thing. I know it's a long episode, so you know I, I wanted to give you the opportunity to cut it short without missing uh, any kind of you know content that you don't want to uh, miss. So uh, thanks for listening. Let's get back. Into the let's start the episode. Yeah, there you go. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Watching the Webhead. I'm your host, Double Nell. It's been a while. I uh, was on hiatus, um, but I'm back. And I'm back a little earlier than I anticipated. Um, I went to a special episode today that is a little different than um, what I've done in the past. Still Spider-Man themed, but um, I actually want to talk about Spider-Man 2. And I want to talk about why Spider-Man 2 is the best Spider-Man film of all time. And I also want to talk about... Uh, mental health and dealing with different things and challenges and circumstances that make you feel like you're overwhelmed um, and make you want to just give up when people may need you the most. And those of you that have watched Spider-Man 2 and understand, uh, you know, the parallels of what I just said, then I think you can appreciate this episode. So, we'll talk about the movie. And we'll talk about specifically the um, Peter Parker storyline of the movie and, and him dealing with his powers and, and things happening. Um, and one particular scene with, um, you know, some people... Some people refer to it as the worst night of Peter Parker's night of life, and um, a lot of stuff happened in that particular scene. And we're gonna we're gonna break some of that down. But first, I just want to start the episode off with a few um, of my favorite highlights of this movie, as to why I feel like this is the best movie. Now, the number one competitor to Spider Man Two would be Into the Spider Verse. A lot of people say that was the best movie. Um, it was. A very, very great movie. Um, I think the animation style, I think, is the biggest reason why it was such a compelling thing. The story was good. You know, everything, the acting, you know, everything was good. Um, and there are a lot of similarities in terms of, like, uh, dealing with struggle and come of age. And, I mean, that's like a whole superhero mantra thing anyway, but... Um, Miles versus Peter, they both were struggling with their powers and, and trying to overcome certain uh, 
perhaps mental and emotional aspects to, you know, do what they need to do to save the day. So um, some similarities, but not a whole lot of them. And, you know, it's fine. Um, Spider-Man Homecoming was also another movie that a lot of people really like and and would kind of consider that to be the best Spider-Man movie of all time. I think we all agree that the uh, Andrew Garfield movies are just... (laughs) Come on. They're they're not even close to being part of the conversation. Let's... (laughs) Come on. But, uh, oh, excuse me. <clears throat> but, um, yeah, I wanted to talk about the movie. So let's dive into Spider-Man 2 and, and why I feel like it is the best Spider-Man movie that has been made. And, I mean, No Way Home could has the potential to surpass it. Um, but one of my earliest episodes of this podcast, I was uneasy about how the movie might have too much going on for its own good. So... You know, we'll see about that. But, um, yeah. So, Spider-Man 2, obviously, is the second movie of the Sam Raimi trilogy. Uh, Spider-Man 1, Spider-Man 2, and Spider-Man 3. Spider-Man 3 uh, ended with a thud. And we were supposed to get Spider-Man 4, but then Sony kind of just said, ah, never mind. And they couldn't quite agree. They couldn't get in the same terms with Raimi and how he envisioned everything. Sony was pushing the Sinister Six. They've been loving the Sinister Six for the longest time. Sony's been obsessed. Um, and each director that they have and, and the you know franchises that they build up, it's always a problem incorporating the Sinister Six. So you would think Sony would learn their lesson at some point and be like, okay, you guys take your time. We'll get there when we get there. And now their extended universe, they're building their own Sinister Six, right? You got Venom, Morbius is coming out. Craven the Hunter, uh, that actor has been cast. So, you know, they're starting to ramp up their own Sinister Six, it looks like, maybe, potentially, I don't know. But Spider-Man 2 was the perfect film because they incorporated... So, there are... When you watch a comic book movie... There's a there are two eras of comic book movies that exist. We might be heading towards a third era. The MCU might have launched a third era. But right now we're looking at two, right? From the 90s and before were a lot of campy movies that came out that were kind of like silly. They made fun of themselves, you know, even the TV shows. There wasn't really much of like an actual story. It was just kind of adventures watching these heroes do random feats of whatever. And they save the day. Oh, wow. Nothing really compelling from like a story standpoint. Once movies like the Spider-Man trilogy and the first few X-Men movies, you know, Fox and Sony, once they got a hold of those film rights and even uh, Universal with the Hulk, Once they got these film rights, we started seeing movies that started to tell stories about, and it just so happens these stories are consisting, containing, whatever word you want to use, superheroed or superpowered individuals, right? Perfect. Another example, maybe not perfect, but another example is the Lego movie, right? Now, 
a lot of people, when we first heard the Lego movie was coming out, we thought it was going to be a big, giant product placement movie that was going to suck, right? That was kind of, a lot of people were looking at it like, oh, this is just so we can buy more toys. Oh, my gosh. But no, it turned out it was a compelling story, right? You enjoyed the ride. There was a lot of humor. It was a story, and it just so happened, instead of humans, they were just Legos. And it allowed you to immerse yourself in that realm, in that universe, and say, okay, I know this isn't real, but this is still captivating. Another story, uh, I use that very uh, purposefully, I guess, but Toy Story, the Toy Story franchise, a bunch of toys. But there are a lot of people that nearly doggone cried when they thought that, uh, you know, toys were going to be incinerated. I mean, there's a lot happening here. When you have a good story, it doesn't matter what's on the screen. It doesn't matter what the characters look like. None of that matters. What matters is you have a good story. Spider-Man 2 was an excellent movie that just so happened to feature multiple super-powered individuals. That's why it's such a, not only one of the greatest comic book movies of all time, and that's not like an opinion. That's like critically and fan opinionated acclaim type of stuff. Like it's made, you know, it's, it's a top grosser of all time in terms of, you know, box office numbers and things like that. Even today, it is still a high ranking um, financial success, you know, and that, that movie came out in 2002. So, you know, they, they had to remove the Twin Towers and stuff. It was a whole thing. But, you know, so actually, uh, Spider-Man 2 came out in 2004. The first one came out in 2002. But regardless of that, it is a top movie, not only for comic book genre, but for movies in general. Just a movie. It is a top movie. There's a lot going on in the movie. And... I'll have to make references to the first movie since it draws a lot from the first movie. You know, it's a sequel, so I'll have to talk about the first movie. Um, but when I look at and analyze this movie, even if you didn't see the first movie, you still could watch the second movie and it stands alone. That was another thing. And I know this for a fact because that's what happened with me. We were going to watch the second movie. And I remember... Telling myself, like, man, I haven't even seen the first one. And I, me, I don't like watching movies out of order, okay? My my dad apparently likes to or or just doesn't care about how you feel. I, I don't know. I, I remember I watched a Star Wars movie. I don't know which one. It was probably one of the prequel trilogy things that everyone hated. I don't know. I'm sitting there watching the movie in the theater. I had no idea what was... I, I didn't know any, I didn't know names. I didn't know anything about anything that was happening. I was just watching a movie. I had no concept of anything. Nothing. <laughs> I, I hate it. I have to, I need to watch the first stuff. I need to build my backs, my backstory and to make sure that I'm up to date with what's going on with this movie. Okay. That's me. That's my story. It's my preference. So, you know, I'm about to, he's about to take us to watch the second movie. 
Knowing full well, none of us has seen the first. <laughs> Why? But okay, that's fine. That's fine. So I told myself, well, I'll just watch the first movie before we go into the theater. So the night before, I thought I could cram in the first movie. I did not. I made it to the scene. The last scene I remember making it to before I went to sleep was Peter and MJ were talking to each other when uh, they were taking out the trash. And uh, that was like the scene. And then I remember just kind of out. I was this blackness and then the sunlight. And we went to see the second movie. And I, I, I was able to follow the movie. Like I was able to follow the movie. But then when I went back home and I, I watched the first movie or you know, my second attempt to watch it. Uh, I caught like some, oh, okay, I see, oh, oh, like it was a lot of, oh, that's what that was, but not, it, it, you still enjoyed the movie and it didn't really miss, like you didn't really miss a lot. It was just little nuggets that were like, okay, yeah, those are references. I gotcha. I gotcha. So it, it, you know, you could watch the second movie without watching the first, but I would always, always encourage you to watch the first. Before we watch the second. And the first movie is... Even people say the first movie is kind of on par with the second movie. In terms of just how great it is. Um, they Those Spider-Man movies really set the tone and foundation and groundwork for what we see today. The Dark Knight trilogy. That's... The MCU. That's... Like, it has built off of what Spider-Man did... What the X-Men did, um, you know, and we're not going to talk about, you know, Catwoman <clears throat> and Daredevil and Elektra. We're not going to talk about them. I enjoyed the Fantastic Four movies, but I understand why they weren't the biggest hits. Um, so, yeah, we're just going to let those go. But, you know, a lot of, there, there are a few early pioneer movies that really set a new tone for what superhero movies can be. Movies about superpowered individuals, right? So that's what we had here. Now, I want to first talk about Otto Octavius and Peter Parker. Not Doc Ock and Spidey. I want to talk about Otto Octavius and Peter Parker and how this is such a Spider-Man thing where he generally has a uh, personal connection with people that eventually become nemesis and costume okay so like this is a classic comic thing that he deals with if you you know if you if you've watched the if you've read the comics you already know but i'm bringing everyone else up to speed so just bear with me but um so we have a situation where the first time they really meet basically um is in the lab uh octavius's lab and He's preparing for the, uh, this demonstration that he's going to put on for, you know, different people, different groups or whatever. Um, Harry Osborn, um, you know, he's funding the thing. And so, you know, Peter and Harry are friends. So, hey, let me introduce you to another quote unquote geek. Um, and you guys can geek it out and do your thing. And, uh, you know, so they, they meet and they have... They they have a couple conversations. They have dinner, and this dinner scene is relatively quick. It doesn't last as long as the impact does. 
That's the thing. And, 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 and scenes like that are pretty neat because you can easily miss a lot that they pack into it um, just because of how short it is. And it's not drawn out and, and, and you know, it doesn't lag. So we see Otto and his wife, they share how they met and there's this love and respect that even though they're on different ends of the spectrum, they have to, you know, she's more the artsy, da, 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 you know, literature. And he's obviously more of the numbers and the science and the such and such. But they found love anyway, you know, and it's just this cute little love story. And then Otto gives some advice to Peter. He calls him out, you know, you're brilliant, but lazy and all of these different things. And so there's this mentorship kind of thing, kind of forming. And it's just a really impactful scene, which this scene, like I said, it, it the impactfulness lasts longer than the actual scene itself. This scene pretty much helps save the, the entire city. So like this is one of the most critical scenes of the entire movie. If you're not really paying attention, you're not, you know, Meeting that that meeting with Otto and Peter is very critical to saving the day, basically, right? Cool. So Otto has his demonstration, and I mean, I'm I'm assuming you guys have watched the movie, right? I mean, the the movie is old. If you haven't seen it, I I'm, I'm not doing a spoiler alert because by now you've you've definitely had a chance. I, I don't know what to tell you, um, but. So, you know, it goes wrong, of course, and blame it on the spider, you know. Or as Harry loves to say, blame it on the bug, <laughs> you know, the friend the bug. And so, you know, we blame it on that, and that's cool. I mean, not cool for Peter, but fine. So now we have a situation where, you know, Otto uh, jumping the gun ends up going a little too far. It messes up. So we, we're going to leave Otto now. Next part of the movie I want to talk about is um, Peter, Harry, and MJ's relationship. Now, when we saw Spider-Man 3, it completely deteriorated. That was a really... Uh, in the second movie, it's beginning to unravel. You have a situation where, you know, at the end of the first movie, MJ's like, I want to be with you. Let's... Do it. And Peter's like, yeah, no, I'm good. I gotta, I'm Spider-Man. I can't, you know, you'll just get in the way. I just can't do it. So that's how it ends. So now we come back and we have this weird triangle of friendship where MJ is kind of like spurned, you know, because of Peter. Harry is mad at Peter for supporting the bug, the guy that killed his father. And don't get me started on Bernard the Butler. Do not. Oh boy, that that dog on Butler. I tell you what, that Butler's got problems. But I'm not. That's we're talking about the second movie, so I can't. I can't quite dip into that. Not quite. Listen, if I if you guys want me to do a review and just a whole rant about that Butler, I will do it. I, I'll do it, because that butler really effed it up. That butler, I don't know what he was thinking about. I don't know why it took us two movies. That, that's, see, I'm already, 
almost got me. <laughs> almost got me. Uh, younger Dante, crazy. He tried to remember a minute ago when he started ranting. That was. I'm older now. I'm wiser. It's fine. Um. Okay. So you know, Harry is mad about the death of his father. He's mad at Spider-Man and Peter Parker. So, you know, Peter's kind of dealing with that. And as the movie kind of chugs along, we see a development of relationship between MJ and J. J, J uh, yeah, JJ's son, um, John, uh, another John. Well, he's John, it's Jonah, and the Jamesons, it's both JJ's. Anyway, John, the astronaut, um, you know, he's, uh, oh, I don't know, he's, he's kind of dealing with, <clears throat> you know, uh, watching the girl of his dreams, the love of his life, kind of, you know, get it on with, this basically celebrity person, I guess, right? He's kind of like famous, like he's a big shot type deal. I don't, I don't know. And I mean, you know, I, I, I just, I get it. Like it was organic, but boy, you felt bad for Peter. I mean, I, you, you know, it's just such a struggle to see him like kind of like, I want her, but I feel like if I'm with her, it would be the worst thing. And I wonder how many of us have ever really felt that way about relationships. Like, it's not the same exact thing, but like if we had like an alcohol problem, it's like, I want to be with you and I, I love you, but I got this thing that, you know, could definitely get in the way and I got to let it go, you know, and I got to try to live my life and I want, I don't want you to have to yo-yo and this whole game and so it's not you know it's not the perfect example but you kind of see like where I'm going like you know Pete's got this thing that he obviously feels like he can't share and he knows that it impacts his ability to create a traditional relationship right that's what we're seeing with that Harry that's his best friend who now blames him and his alter ego for his father's death, um, directly and indirectly. Um, and it's just, it's tough, you know? Pete, Pete's dealing with a, a tough situation. And um, <clears throat> that's just a lot to, to handle, right? So now we're, we're dealing with the situation. The experiment went wrong, and, you know, that falls, you know, Doc... Doc Oxy's that Spider-Man's on the scene, so he blames Spider-Man for it going wrong, even though... And he also basically blames Spidey for his wife's death, right? So, like, uh, you know, so, so far, these people are just against Peter Parker and or Spider-Man, and it's, it's, it's tough, right? It's just all of this stuff is happening. Meanwhile, Peter himself, right... All of this, I mean, his, his, you know, his work situation is is a struggle, you know, and you know, so we're we're looking at all of this stuff happening, and Peter begins to lose his powers. Now I remember when they first was talking about bringing the movie on, like you know, they first announced that Spidey was going to have organic webs, and everyone was like. Oh, no, 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 no. Peter has mechanical webs. That's what makes him... That's the the side of him 
that we know he has this, this high IQ, right? And I agree. Part of Peter Parker's wonderful story as being Spider-Man, he's a self-made hero. He made his own costume. He's, he's made his own web fluid. He made his own web shooters. He did that because he's a certified genius. That's one of the reasons why I dislike him a bit in the MCU. He seems like he does not have these skill sets. We have not seen him with uh, operate with this high IQ. We have not seen him create anything really for himself. He seems like he's completely dependent and reliant on Iron Man and whoever else they may bring into the fold. Whereas in the comics, a high school Peter Parker created himself after he got bit, right? And so you you compare and it's like yeah, it feel it, it just feels like he's been neutered, you know? I don't I'm not the biggest fan of it and but it's fine for now. I think um but anyway, so the organic weapon, it was like, well, this this sucks. Like, we don't want this. We want a more authentic. This is our first time seeing him on the screen. And you're telling me it's not even going to be really what we've already read about him or seen in comic book shows. Like, the, the 90s series just ended, right? You know, people are, like, living off of that. Like, that's the guy. And now you're telling me we're what? So it was a complicated situation, for sure. And... I really believe that the second movie, whether it was planned already or not, the second movie incorporated this storyline that you would not be able to in the comics, which is Peter Parker's emotional state and and things that he's dealing with tangled him up so much that it impacted his his physical health, basically, right? Let's kind of look at this. You know, when you really think about our emotional health and things that we're dealing with and the pressures of the world and such, we're kind of, you you start to see things manifest physically, right? And, and it's it can be as simple as when you're feeling really nervous, you end up losing your appetite and or you want to vomit, right? These are emotions that have an impact physically. And so for Peter Parker... His is a little different, right? His emotional state, weighing all of this on his his shoulders, dealing with all of these different challenges and issues and all sectors of his life, we're finding that, my interpretation, is that his powers are starting to be affected by these things. And, you know, he tries to talk to the doctor and it's, it's difficult for him because obviously he can't share his entire medical history and, and what he's dealing with, right? But that was a pretty tight scene in itself, him with the doctor. And they kind of touch on, you know, he says, you know, Peter says, oh, I, I, got, I know someone. The classic, I know a guy type of thing. And they talk about Spider-Man and it's, it's, it's a really nice scene. And it kind of... It kind of helps us kind of see like, yeah, there is something going on. But also maybe it's time to let this go. Like maybe letting go of Spider-Man will help you. Right? So basically from that doctor's appointment, he kind of just is like, all right, you know what? I think uh, I think I'm going to let this go. He has a battle with Doc Ock 
you know, and his powers kind of short out at different points during the battle. Um, and I, that, that bank fight. And so here I want to talk about the train scene. Now, a lot of people have said that this, the train fight and the whole bit is one of the best action sequences, again, not just for Spider-Man movies, but one of the best sequences in at least comic book movies that we've seen. I would tend to agree. It feels short. Like, it feels like a short battle. But the choreography felt as authentic as you could possibly think of for a fictional character, right? Spidey moved with such fluidity that, like, the way he moved, you just felt like that's, that's how he would move. Uh, you know, like that, that you would like a spider as quickly as a lot of the spiders, they can crawl away and run, you know, they got eight legs. So you have to make this human being kind of move around as if he has eight legs. And I thought they did a great job without it looking like CGI. Like they, they, he was really crawling around and it just, it worked. Doc Ock's arms, uh, his uh, tentacles, if you want to call it that. They're moving around with such fluidity and, and yet this rigidness of metal and, and whatever it's made out of. And it just works. You know, it just works. He's Peter uh, Spidey is saving people with his webbing and things like that while he's battling. That is such what you would imagine, like seeing pages from the comic book come to life. And... So he battles Doc Ock, and Doc Ock decides, I've had enough, I'm going to get out of here, and I'm going to try to slow him down by, you know, basically taking out the train, right? So he takes away the brake line switch lever thingamajiggamabobber, and so now we get into the situation where now Peter has to figure out how to stop the train from going off the edge, right? And this is another scene that shows that Peter is not a perfect superhero, but he's smart enough to learn and to figure something out on the spot, right? Despite his limitations, he's got the analytical skills to make up for some of the physical restraints that he might have. Somebody like maybe Thor or easily the Hulk could just stand in front of the train and just, you know, it might take a little bit of sliding, but they would stop it with their bare hands. Peter's not that kind of strength, although, interestingly enough, he is somewhat close. Yeah, I'm not going to get into all the specifics. He is well documented being able to survive encounters with Juggernaut, Hulk, and, and a lot of these other quote-unquote unstoppables. Um, he takes blows from them and still gets up. So he's, he's definitely um, able to do a lot, but... So he's going to stop the train. And he first thinks to use his feet, right? He thinks to use his physical strength with his legs and kind of just stop it head on. He realizes that doesn't work. So then he decides, all right, let me use this, this web fluid that I made. Well, he didn't make, right? So he shoots out some of the webbing and it doesn't work. The web snaps off of the buildings and stuff. So he thinks to himself like, okay, well, hmm, that could work, but maybe I should do more webbing. So he, he uh, disperses, shoots, I'm going to say just shoots. He shoots more webbing 
to more buildings. And then that's enough to build some tension. And the train begins to slow. He puts all of his might into stopping this train, right? Just everything. And I love his face. I mean, he really looked like he was straining. I don't know what they did to have him be able to pull that look off. But he sold that look of like just strain and I'm pushing myself and this is crazy and I got to do it. And all of this mixed into that. And, uh, you know, so I'm, I'm, you know, he, he finally stops, right? He stops the train just before it, you know, for dramatic effect, just before it falls off of the ledge. And... He's done, right? He's basically exhausted and he basically passes out. Um, The passengers are able to grab him before he falls. They place him inside of the train and they they see his face and it's like, wow, he's, he's a kid. And that's like part of my point earlier. This is a movie, a story, and it just so happens to have super powered individuals. But they constantly... Raimi constantly connects the city and their citizens with their hero. You see, like in the first movie with the goblin and Spidey's holding the bus or trolley of, of uh, I think they were kids, and they're, they're hanging above the water and they're hanging down the bridge and Goblin's basically trying to, you know, beat up Spidey so he can drop the kids. And the New Yorkers on the bridge, they start throwing stuff at the goblin. Like, yo, what are you, what? He's trying to save these kids. What are you doing? So, like, Raimi always had that thing going with his movies. He loved to bring the citizens into the mix to, you know, influence the situation, uh, which is a very comic book move. I mean, it's, <laughs> he, he did his homework. Raimi did his homework. Um, and just the right appropriate times that this happens. And it's, it's pretty great. So they're, you know, they're looking at him and it's like, wow, he's a kid. You know, this is crazy. Um, and so Doc Ock shows up and he's like, yeah, I'm going to take him. And the, 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 the passengers are like, oh no, you, you just, come on, take us first. You're going to have to take us first, bruh. And this is just great. How Doc Ock responds. No words, just his arms just pushed them all out the way. And like, yeah, okay, what? (laughs) And, you know, so Spidey weakly, gingerly stands up. And they're still, like, trying to protect him. Like, nah, this dude just saved our lives. We're going all in now. That's it. We're going in. And Peter's like, nah, just stand down. It's cool. And that's, that's it. That scene had everything. It had action. It had tension, it had drama, and it's just just a wide range of emotions that take place about, what, five, seven minutes of, of runtime? Like, it, it's not that long. And it hits on just about everything. There's even a little comedy in there, some horror. It's just a lot happening, right? And um, that's why people say that's one of the best scenes. And I think that scene by itself really elevates this movie to the status that it has. 
because that that scene kind of encompasses not only the movie's storyline but also the trilogy itself. I think you really look at that if you want a defining moment of the Sam Raimi trilogy, it would have to be that scene. I I really the first movie had a lot going on. It was cool. Peter did the backflip when the glider was coming to avoid it or whatever. That was pretty significant. You know, there was a couple of stuff in the first movie and some still some good fights in the second movie. And the third movie was, was another train scene was pretty decent with Sandman and Black Suit Spidey. That was cool. Um, but, you know, the second that, that second movie and that particular fight scene and that whole train thing was just... It was just great. It was just great. And you you watch and you see the other Sony movies have tried to replicate that same thing. The latest example we had was Homecoming when when Spidey's trying to hold the two halves of the boat together and straining and he's trying to da 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 da. And they took that moment away from him when, when Iron Man came in. That that that's like you know like I said it's just they kind of strip Peter. Uh, of different things in his movies in the MCU. He, he's not, you know what I mean? So, but, you know, it, it's, it's, it's fine, I guess. Um, you know, still good movie. They're, they're still good movies, but, you know. So, I had to talk about that scene. That, that, that's like the highlight of the movie. So, now we're going to move deeper into the one scene, um, where it's basically, like like I said, some people consider it the worst night of Peter Parker's life. The dinner that they're that they're honoring uh, John, um, you know John Jameson. They're honoring him. Uh, I forget what it is, whatever. And Peter goes in there. He goes to the dinner, um, mainly because he's supposed to take photos, right? So JJ says. Go over there. My son is doing his thing, so you're gonna be over there to take photos of the whole shebang bang, whatever. It's cool. So it starts off with a little comedy, right? Where there there are multiple things happening. All Peter wanted was a drink, right? If you guys remember this, he's going around every time someone's walking by with a tray of drinks, he like tries to grab the drink and it just gets out of reach or someone else takes it. And he can't get a drink, right? He sees MJ uh, out in the balcony. He goes to her, reads her a poem. Um, and he's like, wow, this is, you know, this is pretty okay. And she's like, what? You're reading poetry? What is this? What do you, what do you mean? What? Is, what? Like, oh, I guess that's not what you wanted to hear. So she, you know, she turns him down. He meets up with Harry and Harry's like, yeah, you know, he's drunk. At least he's been drinking. So he's not completely, you know, whatever. But he's like, yo, you, you and, and the bug, man, this, this is not cool anymore. Like this ain't, this ain't funny. This ain't right. Stop it. So, you know, then, uh, Peter gets pimp slapped by Harry. Is that right, brother? Psh! Hi, brother. Psh! You know, so that's, like, that's tough, right? So, he, you know, the, the girl of his dreams shot him down. His friend, best friend, slaps him across the face. He can't get a drink, you know. 
And then to top it off, he gets to sit there. That's not even topping it off. So, so next we see on the stage, on the platform, John says, oh yeah, uh, MJ here's we're engaged now. This is it. So it's like, wow, Pete. So Pete's witnessing this large, lavish engagement featuring the woman of his, his dreams, right? And now, finally, to top it off, JJ says, take a picture of that. <laughs> Man, listen, if I had to take a picture of that after that whole sequence of events, I think I'd cry. I think I would just sit there and cry and like have this breakdown. Because that really, really... So, you know, Peter's done being Spider-Man. He's like, ah, F this. He even he even goes as far as to say bye-bye to Uncle Ben. Like, this dude is straight done, right? He's done. He threw his costume out, you know, and JJ ended up getting it. And, you know, you know, some random kid, you know, or garbage man brought it in. And, you know, JJ's like, oh, my goodness. He, 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 he quit. What a quitter. Like, he... He'll he'll never like Spidey. And I just side note, um, the way that they in the Ultimate Spider-Man line, the way that they show why JJ doesn't like Spidey is a really humanizing moment where JJ looks so vulnerable and you just get it. Like, you just understand why he can't stand Spider-Man. It's the weirdest... The, uh, the ultimate Spider-Man line is just... The ultimate universe is just a great line of comics. And I mean, a lot of the MCU is based off of those comics. So if you have not read those comics, uh, X-Men I know have their own line. Spidey, the Fantastic Four, and the Ultimates, which is their version of the Avengers. They all have their lines and... So, that's my side note. But anyway, so, we have, um, you know, Peter is like, yeah, I'm done. I'm over it. I'm, I'm cool. <clears throat> this is a wrap. I've had my fun, but I'm not doing this anymore. So, he gives up being Spider-Man, and his life sort of picks up, right? Or so he thinks. You know, he kind of picks it up. School is coming along nicely, you know, his studies and stuff. And Kirk Connors is like, well, great job, buddy. And, you know, and it's, it's great. And, um, you know, work is coming along and he's able to do this. He attends uh, MJ's plays and stuff. Like, you know, it's great. He's happy. This is wonderful. But then, the conversation with Aunt May and the... Yards, is it, was it a yard sale or they were just move? She was moving. I think she's moving. I, I, don't, I don't know. Oh yeah, she's moving because they couldn't uh, get the loan for the house when they were at the bank, and the, 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 so now she's getting ready to, you know, transition. Um. So anyway, <clears throat> Peter stops by, you know, and he's like, "Wow, what's what's this? Oh, you know, Aunt May basically, she basically was straight up like, ah, screw it." You know, what are you going to do? This is life. You know, so um, the little Billy kid, he's helping to pack up the stuff. And this is so, this is such like a critical moment in the movie, right? So 
we know the scene with Peter and Otto and how that's going to impact the end of the movie. But we still need a catalyst for him getting to that point. And that's what the scene is between him and his aunt. And there have been theories ever since that scene has showed up. Does Aunt May know that Peter is Spider-Man? Does she know? Because the things that she says to him, right, are outrageous. I mean, I, and, and, and listen, the next, the next half of the episode, I'm going to share the exact quotes for my little, the mental health aspect of the whole thing. But she really makes a lot of parallels as if she knows that, uh, like, so the kid asked Peter, like, hey, man, what happened with Spidey? I know you took pictures of him. What, what happened to him? And Peter was like, oh, he quit. <laughs> like, he's full of himself. Like, yeah, he quit. He's done. He's done, baby. Bada bing, bada boom. You know? It's over. It's a whack. And, um, and then Aunt May steps in and is like, yeah, we miss him. And I had a little problem with that because throughout the whole franchise up to that point, even earlier in the movie, it seemed like she was kind of, I'm not going to say necessarily anti-Spider-Man, but she didn't seem like she approved of him. And all of a sudden, hey, where did he go? What happened to him? We were wondering. Like, really? I, you were wondering? What are you... Huh? Okay. So, you know, she's, she, she starts this monologue as if she's talking directly to Peter. Like, you... It's a shame that he's gone because we really need him, you know? It's, it's uh, the city needs him. <laughs> I'm like, wow, okay, she knows. Like, anyone that's watching this movie believes that she knows, right? So, all right, Peter kind of is inspired to, like, jump back into it, <clears throat> right? And, um, I mean, there's a whole little bit where he figures out that his powers are back. He meets MJ... Um, for dinner, right? And or lunch, I guess brunch. And he's like, "Yeah, no, this ain't gonna work, buddy. We're, we're we are officially done. You know, I've really been thinking about things, and this isn't happening, right?" And Doc Ock, he's like roaming around. He throws a freaking car into the window, you know, because Harry basically. So I guess I gotta go back like slightly, really quick. Okay. Doc Ock needs more, like, material to build a new thingamajigger energy source thing. He goes to Harry because Harry has it. Harry's like, yeah, you know what? Get me Peter Parker first. And then, we can, oh, get me Spider-Man. Spider-Man's dead body. And then we could talk. And then Doc Ock is like, all right, cool. I'm going to go get him. But how? And he's like, oh, well, Peter Parker, go to him. Because Pete is, like, cool with Spidey. Um, so go to him. He should have answers. So Doc Ock eventually finds Pete somehow. I don't know what, what, what happened. And he throws the car into the restaurant. And at that moment, Peter's spider sense goes off. Saves himself and MJ from, you know, getting crushed by a car. Because how often does that happen in your life? And then, uh, you know, uh, Doc Ock takes MJ, basically as hostage, right? And he, he, he's, he runs off. Now, the thing about it is, here's, like, a plot hole for me. If So, the only reason why Peter survived getting thrown into a brick wall and having a collapse on him is because he's Spider-Man. 
If he was Peter Parker, like a regular dude, he's dead. And then Otto just killed the only link he has to Spider-Man. I don't know why you would recklessly do this, but okay, fine. So Peter gets out of the rubble. He's like, yo, what the heck? He walks out and he's looking through his glasses and it's blurry. And he takes his glasses off and he realizes, oh, my powers are back. Because my glasses, so... And obviously he was able to survive the thingy. The movie does a good job of like emphasizing he lost his powers, but also it doesn't really clarify if he has them as he's going through everyday life. We only really realize he has them back when we see the glasses, right? We're not necessarily 100% thinking that he lost his super strength and durability because they don't show that in the movie. We only know web shooting, web, uh, yeah, web shooting, wall crawling, and eyesight. They emphasize those as things that he lost. We never talked about if he lost his durability and strength. Did he? Didn't he? We don't know. He survived the crash. Maybe at that particular point, did his spider sense ever disappear? We don't know that either. We, we, he was never in a situation to have to use it until that particular moment after, we, after he quit. So we, don't, like, we just don't know, really. But it's fine. He's officially back. He gets his costume back. Um, while JJ is having a monologue about, man, we, we, we miss him. We actually might need him. He's cool. And then the costume's going, he's like, hey, he's a menace. Oh, you know, so he, he's back into his, his bag. And so now we have this, you know, the, the fight, you know, and, and I guess it's kind of a fight, not, not quite. And so we're at the, the thing, the energy source thing, and it's out of control. And Peter more or less has defeated Doc Ock in a sense, and he, he tried to unplug everything, and nothing is working, and Otto's like, oh no, you can't stop it. It's, it's too big now, buddy. Yeah. And, uh, you know, New York is basically about to get sucked into this thing, so like, Peter's like, yo, we gotta figure this out. What are we doing? And um, this is where Peter realizes, like, you know what? Spidey can't get to him, but maybe Peter can. So he takes off his mask. He's like, yo, what are we doing? And I was like, oh, yeah, you're brilliant but lazy. Hey, like, <laughs> really? That, that's what you retained after all of what we've been through? You, you still are holding on to brilliant but lazy? Okay, that's fine. Whatever. So, you know, they, they talk about it. And they talk and they try to reconnect. And Peter's trying to get Otto to reject the arms, voices in his head and stuff. And, and Otto's head and, and all of these different things. And, you know, they... He finally is able to take control of them and be like, hey, listen to me, you know, and uh, so he does that. And then he says, I'm going to drown it. All right. You don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. So he does it. And we presume that he's dead. Unfortunately, Spider-Man No Way Home will have to explain itself because he is officially listed as a character in the movie from you know, so we need to figure out what happened to him. But whatever, we see his floating body in the water in school. The war, the day save. Uh, he looks. MJ is staring at him, and she's like, "Oh my gosh! Wow, you have no math. Yeah, Spider Man." And it's it's whatever. So they swing off, and then Peter's like, "Now you see why we, this can't work? Because I just you would just be in danger, like what just happened now. And we were, I wasn't even Spider Man, and you were still in danger. You see how crazy that is." Come on, sis, you got to take a hint, you know? So she she goes 
back to the arms of the man that she really doesn't love anymore because now, you know, she realizes that, yeah, I do love him. And now I understand his context and his issues and stuff. And like, I want to work with him, right? So at the end of the movie, she's supposed to get married. She runs, <laughs> you know, she leaves him at the altar and goes to Peter. I mean, what a move. What a move. And Peter's like, wow, you're really? And I'm just like, yeah, come on, Tiger. You know, like, this is it. This is happening. And it's it, it's okay. It's an okay ending until you know what's going to happen <laughs> in the next movie. Then it's like, MJ, you weren't really ready. Like, you, <laughs> she immediately is, like, getting upset that he has to swing off and do his job. And, like, that's what Peter was telling you all along. Like, <laughs> but it's fine. It's fine. We're not going to talk about the third movie. And, and and all of that, we're not going to talk about it. Uh, we're stuck on the second movie, and that's cool. So that's the second movie. Um, in a nutshell, and there's just a lot of different things that are happening with it. And like I said, the next part, we'll talk more in depth about, you know, <clears throat> dealing with struggles in your life. And, and when it seems like everything is going against you, you know, how to rise above that and be a person that people need you to be in, in their lives. You know, you, you, you are a hero to someone, whether you realize it or not, right? You know, I mean, Spidey's looking over basically millions of people, and he may not directly know them, but he still makes an impact on their lives just by doing what he does, you know? So that, but like I said, we'll, we'll get to that part in the second half. Right now, I'm going to run and add, I guess... A little break. You guys get yourself a little snack. You know, this is, uh, I don't know how long this is going to be, you know. But uh, if you haven't gotten a snack, get a snack and come on back. You're still here? Oh, cool. Wow. Okay. That's it's pretty cool. So, uh, the second part, we're going to kind of dive in a little bit about, you know, the storyline in Spider-Man 2 where Peter is dealing with all of these things that are going on and how it impacts him physically and and what he does when he, you know he he decides to give up and how he ends up being motivated to get back into it and <clears throat> you know there are a lot of uh, a lot of people in the world right now that are dealing with a lot of what feels like unbearable things. Um, And I, for one, am also dealing with a lot of unbearable things. And I'm going to tell you why I decided to do this episode. Um, And I'm looking at it right now. So, originally... This episode was going to be a comparison recording of the three movies that I talked about. I talked about Spider-Man 2, um, Into the Spider-Verse, and Homecoming as being the potential top three Spider-Man movies of all time. Even though Homecoming is kind of not quite in the same tier, but some people do like to put in Tom Holland's performance as, as a reason why you know, it's jumped to that place. Now, I... I guess what I'll, I'll say is this. Because of what I've been dealing with, 
Um, you know, I just recently celebrated a birthday and I had received this gift um, from a very close relative of mine who uh, lives way too far away from my liking. And, you know, she sent like a lot of different things that I'm not going to really, you know, go over and go into detail. But there was one thing that she sent me. She knows that I'm a big Spider-Man person and, uh, you know, I got this podcast and things like that. And she sent me, among other things, a little plush doll of Spidey. I'm holding it in my hand right now. And um, this doll, I'm calling it a doll. It's not really an action figure. Action figures, I kind of imagine are like the hard plastic type of figurines. You know, this is like a plush, you know, this is soft and cushiony, a little plush doll thing. So I call it a doll. Um, I I have no kind of concern about whether something is a doll or an action figure. The good action figure, whatever. It's fine. So um, this this was, uh, I don't know if this, I, it's not the favorite thing that she gave me, but this was a triggering moment. Ah, trigger is such a negative connotation, but it's it was a uh, a driving force for why I changed the uh, format of my episode. Um, so it's still going to talk about, you know, like I did earlier, why this was the best Spider-Man movie. But I'm also going to try to give you all some encouragement but interestingly enough, as I record this, one day I will probably have to listen to this again myself and, and re-encourage myself. So Dante or whoever is listening, uh, this, is, this is happening. So I've been motivated by Spider-Man for a while, um, even before I started having, you know, different things, you know, manifest in my life this particular year. And one of the things that I I wrote about, I want to say it was last year, like maybe last October or September, I wrote about uh, uh, one of the most, one of the more famous comic book storylines for uh, Spidey, um, where he is trapped under the rubble. If you guys know that scene, he's trapped under there and he you know, there's an antidote to save his dying Aunt May, like, just beyond his reach. And he just wills, he just finds this source of inspiration and will, and, and I have to keep going, I can't give up. And such a dramatic, if you haven't read it, I mean, it's so dramatic. And it's, and that was something that I had used uh, to give myself a boost, you know, and to tell myself, hey, you know, don't, don't stop. It's literally weighing on, like he's trapped under this impossibly heavy stuff. And he really should have been crushed, but just, you know, and he, he, he finds that strength and throws it off of his back. And it got me kind of thinking, you know, when I, when I saw the plush doll and I, and I, I, cause the night before I was trying to record, you know, the episode and I hadn't published it yet, but I also wasn't satisfied with it. And then I get this in the mail and it's like, oh, no wonder why I wasn't happy. There was something missing. And that's what was missing, right? So I take that and it's a cute little thing too. And I take that and I say, all right, let's, let's rework this episode and let's kind of talk about it like this. 
right? So Spider-Man 2, Peter Parker is dealing with a lot. We talked about it in the first half, right? His romantic life is struggling. His friendship is struggling. Um, work sucks. School is bad. And, you know, we've talked about how relatable Peter Parker is. More than a lot of, you know, different heroes. When he first debuted, he was a completely different thing. Like, you just, this was something different. He wasn't a billionaire. He wasn't an alien from space. He wasn't, he wasn't any of this stuff. A symbol for America and all these different things. He wasn't any of that. He was a kid from Queens. That was it. He's a high schooler from Queens who had a random event happen to him. He didn't ask for this. Right? And that's how sometimes it feels like in life. Like we didn't ask for these things to happen or certain responsibilities to be bestowed upon us, but it happens. It just happens. And, you know, I I feel like in some ways it's reasonable to feel like I didn't ask for this. I'm going to just get rid of this. And unfortunately for someone like Peter, he can't necessarily do that, at least in the universe that we see him in, where he can't just take a, a thing and get rid of his powers, like a serum or something. But he has uh, tried a dozen times in the comics and a couple of TV shows and stuff. So, I mean, he, you know, it's been a thing. It's an ongoing thing for him where he's, you know, like struggling with like this, this, this job, you know, and this responsibility to like do the right thing. And it's an ongoing battle with him, you know, it doesn't really stop. But when it's time to get down to fight, he's always ready to get down to fight. Like, let's, uh, you know, I'm really, like, down on it, but let's go. Let's just do this, because I got to do this. I can't just sit by and not do it. I have to do this. So that's so many reasons why, you know, when someone says they're not a fan of Spider-Man, I don't know. I have to believe they haven't really read his story, that they don't know much about his story. I wonder if a lot of people who say they don't really care about him or they're not the biggest fan of his, they've only watched the movies and maybe the shows. Do yourself a favor. Before you write Spidey off, read the comics. I would recommend either the original The Amazing Spider-Man or if you want a more modern twist, read The Ultimate Spider-Man. Um... Those are, I think, the most critical ones to kind of, to read. To Those are some of his best stories. And they, they will really introduce you to why so many people love this character. Because at the end of the day, that is the source material that these movies are coming from and these shows are coming from. So we have to, you know, you got to go to the, you know, to the source in order to really understand the concept of the character. He's such an inspirational, relatable character. How, raise your hand if you have struggles with school, whether paying for it, uh, getting good grades, whatever it is. Roommates in the dorm. Peter dealt with that. Raise your hand if you have struggles at work and trying to keep a job and 
sometimes other responsibilities get in the way of, of performing at your highest level, right? Maybe you get fired from a couple of places. Peter's dealt with that. Raise your hand if your love life is just... <laughs> Peter's dealt with that, which kind of ironic because he's really very much a ladies' man. He's, there's always a love interest, and they're usually the ones falling for him and infatuated with him, but he can't make it work, mainly because of the Spider-Man issues, but for whatever reason, he can't make it work, right? So I'm sure some of us, maybe most of us, I don't know, we've been there at some point or another. You know, so, you know, raise your hand if, you know, your friendships are kind of like a on and off again type of thing, and it's it's hard to really, like, keep track of everything that's happening and you know sometimes you let them down because it's just stuff going on that just you can't really explain it right you just really don't know how to express why you're not as consistent as you'd like to be in their lives and have them in your lives you, you raise your hand right peter dealt with that like these are all real life situations that have nothing to do with his powers <clears throat> but like i said in the first part it just so happens this is a story that features someone with superhuman powers. That's it. It is still a captivating story. And it's still a story that we can all relate to. Oh, sure, to a certain extent. But if you believe that all people have their own kind of special superpower, whether it's, you know, they're great at math, or they're, you know, artists, or they sing, or they dance, or... These can all be special superpowers in our own rights. And sometimes those things can, you know, if you want to pursue a career or something, that could, you know, weaken other areas of your life. You know, it, it could happen. So, you know, I mean, these things can occur. And uh, I just, so I just feel like that's such a critical thing to kind of think about because when I go into telling, you know, when when I go to share about like these these mental health struggles and things like that, I think he's a great person to look at to say, yeah, you know, this is how he, you know, these are the struggles that he's got, and this is how he's handling it, and I think it's it's appropriate to some extent to use him as a reference to say, okay, yeah, all right, this is you know. Just type in something here. Okay. <clears throat> so, don't worry, it's for the podcast, it's fine. Um, so we'll dive in, right? And kind of just, you know, look at what happened with Pete. So just imagine you're in a position where the vast majority of areas in your life are all crumbling down to to a to a place where like in a short time span and it's like <laughs> wherever you try to find relief that thing just kind of crumbles. Just you just like a building just collapsing around you and like you cannot find the exit and it's just you're stuck here like how do I get out this is going to crash on me I need to figure out how to get out of here 
life, I think, can can feel like that scene where Peter was dealing with, you know, trying to get the drinks and, you know, he's he's trying to uh, talk to MJ and Harry and the, the engagement. All these different things are happening on that night. And I think that's how we can feel like sometimes. Like, it's just too much and too little time. You, there's no time to decompress. And it's just like, really? You just keep saying really to yourself, like, really? Is this real? This <laughs> for real? And it just, it gets so difficult. And I really think that, uh, you know, when, when we enter that place, right. And we, 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 we begin to feel like this ain't worth it, chief. You know, and, and, and Spidey, you know, Peter, he kind of looks at it and says, this ain't worth it. This Spider-Man business ain't worth it. Look, look at what, what's happened because of it. Look look at my life. Just because I, you know, something that I didn't even choose to have, I didn't accept it. I didn't have a choice. This wasn't, now I'm, I got to deal with this. No, I'm, I'm done. I'm done with that. I'm out. And... You can't blame his logic, right? Because, I mean, we don't know a lot about his life before he got bit in the movies, right? We know that he was being bullied in high school and, you know, trying to figure out how to talk to MJ and and different things. Normal teenager stuff. We don't know for sure if him getting bit or not getting bit would make a difference in his life. Uh, there may have been more problems because he got bit. There may have been more problems because he didn't get bit. There may be different problems. And that's that's usually what I land on. I don't land on, I'll go back in time and do this. Kind of like the butterfly effect, that movie. Uh, <clears throat> and and kind of, or even the eternal sunshine of spotless mind, even though... Uh, both of those movies were trippy. Um, but, you know, like, it's one of those things where even if you change something, sometimes you end up with the same result anyway, and you just get there in a different way. And then there's other times where it's like you change something, but you're still going to have issues that maybe, you know, they're just different issues, but they're still like you're destined to, for certain things, you might be destined to just run into certain hurdles, Right. Maybe there is no quote unquote easy way out, you know, and that's that's the thing that, you know, so like you can see his logic of I want to get rid of these powers. I'm, I want to be done with this. But, you know, I don't know. He may have still ran into similar issues with with his life and the way it is. I'm probably not to the same extent. In terms of like battling these super powered, you know, people. But, you know, in terms of his personal life, it probably would be different. And I mean, they are interchangeable. They are intertwined, right? They're intertwined. They're together. Spider-Man and Peter Parker, their lives are, are linked. So it's hard to say one thing would be, you know, one way or the other without referencing the other part of his life. So, it, you know, it's tough. But, um, 
I think, I think like when you, when you kind of, when you look at it from a certain, like this, okay, this perspective, right? Peter knows that what he does as Spider-Man makes a difference, right? Now, some people do operate in the world feeling like they don't make a difference, and that's why it's like, why bother? I'm not going to say Peter's method uh, motivation is selfish, but his story is more of, I'm helping everybody but myself. What about me? What about me? And that's why it's it's a struggle. Um, he he knows that he makes an impact. He knows that he's saving lives, and it gets it gets tough because like imagine you you you're doing the best you can, and you make a couple of mistakes. But like imagine there's always someone just. I think a lot of us have that person, that's our J J J J Jameson, right? We have our JJ, the person that criticizes us for everything that we do. We just cannot do anything right. That could be a parent or a friend or a coworker or some somebody. And we just we just we keep entering this place where it's like, you know, people just, they don't like me if I do this. They don't like me if I do that. They're unhappy if I do this. They're unhappy if I do that. And you feel like you just can't win. And then meanwhile, your life is falling to pieces because you feel like you're doing the right thing and nothing positive is coming your way, right? You feel like, I'm putting karma out in the universe. Why am I not getting a return here? What, what about me? It comes back to that, right? What about me? How, how, how will I sustain myself? I'm pouring and pouring and pouring. And uh, so we, we moved to the scene, the garage, well, not the garage, the yard sale type thing that's going on with packing, whatever. So I have uh, some of the quotes from the movie, some of them, not all of them. Uh, Henry was the kid, that the neighbor kid that was helping out May. Um, so, so, you know, Henry was asking Peter, like, you know... What happened to him? You know, what, what, what happened to Spider-Man? Why haven't we seen him in a minute? And Peter's like, oh, yeah, he quit. He out, he did. Bye. You know, he, he jetted. So now you have a situation where, uh, you know, Henry's like, oh, man, that sucks. And he goes off and does his little work or whatever. And then uh, Aunt May jumps in. And she says, you'll never guess who he wants to be. Spider-Man. And Peter has like this weird look on his face, like, why? What? What? And so I'm gonna read you what May said. Um, he know now. Re- now remember, during the bank fight, right? So before the bank fight, and really even during it, with uh, Spidey and, and Doc Doc Ock. Basically, Aunt May was like a low-key, this guy's a menace. 
type of thing. She never is really like aggressive about it. But like you can tell that she's not a fan of Spider-Man. She she does not condone what he does and all of these different things. Now when Peter finally saves her from Doc Ock, she says, Oh, I've been wrong about you. You're 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 good. Wow, you saved my life. Like you didn't try to like kill me or something or eat me. You know, like wow. So her her mood has changed about Spider-Man. Her viewpoint has changed about Spider-Man. And so she has this to say. He knows a hero when he sees one. Too few characters out there flying around like that, saving old girls like me. And Lord knows kids like Henry need a hero. Courageous, self-sacrificing people. Setting examples for all of us. Everybody loves a hero. People line up for them, cheer for them, scream their names. And years later, they'll tell how they stood in the rain for hours just to get a glimpse of one of the one who taught them to hold on a, a second longer. I believe there's a hero in all of us that keeps us honest, gives us strength, makes us noble, and finally allows us to die with pride. Even though sometimes we have to be steady and give up the thing we want the most, even our dreams. So, now mind you, when she's saying this, and the the full context of the, the movie, this is why the theory of does she know that he's Peter Par- that he's Spider Man does does she know that has surfaced you know throughout all these years has been like an ongoing like speculation because she talks to Peter as if as if she's playing along the I know a guy thing right like Peter never goes there but like she kind of goes there on her own like yeah I know a guy and that guy is you but we're gonna pretend like we both think that I don't know what's happening so like I don't know I don't know if she knows or not and I guess we may never know but those were some powerful words right and obviously they they motivate Peter to no not quite not quite, but like they help to push him to like realize like you know people they need you, whether they whether they say it or not, whether you see it or not, people need you that that's my interpretation of the quote, right All of us are connected now I, I've talked about this in in one of my books and and all my blogs and things like that. We're all connected when i when I talk about like stage lighting and the primary colors of light are red, green, and blue. And all of these colors together make white, right? And so humanity, our goal is to be a bright, white, blessed light, right? And we all are our own individual color. Some people are shades of blue. Some people are shades of green. Some people are shades of red. And when we come together, we work together, we make this perfectly blended light. And if we're missing even one piece, it just does not work, right? We have to imagine ourselves as those pieces of light, that we're little individual pieces of light, that we're counting on you. To make us whole, we're counting on you. 
we need you to step up and be the best light you can be because otherwise we can't do this. And, you know, for Peter, his his job as a light is to be Spider-Man, right? That's kind of the what's being implied with this quote. If I if I really take my interpretation to that level, it, it's kind of implied there where, you know, like we, we need someone like you. And sometimes that means that you have to go through some stuff in order to be what we need you to be. And that can be tough to hear when you're really struggling and you and you're in the heart of the like I'm currently in the heart of my situation. The fact that I'm even able to tell to say these things is kind of astounding to me because I a part of me doesn't fully believe it yet. I'm still having my struggles and my battles right now and it's hard for me to but I'm able to separate myself from myself and provide this kind of motivation so that not only can you benefit, but potentially future older version of me can benefit as well. So you're almost listening to like a diary entry of like my life in a certain extent, but it's hard to hear that when you're deep down in the belly of the problem and the issue that you're facing. And usually it's a multitude of issues, right? Sometimes it's a one thing that domino affects other things. And in order to fix a lot of these things, you have to go back to the original thing. But sometimes the original thing causes so many problems that it's hard to even fix the original thing. It's like a perpetual cycle of I, where do I even begin to fix it, right? And it sucks. I mean, it's just, it's brutal, right? And, you know, I, I've, I've come to that place uh, multiple times in my life, but you know, I'm currently in it. And <clears throat> when I think about people need me, that's something to hold on to. Not there isn't some kind of like self egotistical type of thing going on. Oh, they need me. I'm the man. No, it's you need eggs, flour, and milk to make the cake, right? Like, and some butter. Like you need those pieces, not because they're important or more important than others or whatever, but in order to create what needs to be created, you need all of the ingredients in the right quantities and 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 the right quality, and you that's how you make your cake. And that's kind of how that's a way to look at it, right? That's a way to look at it. And people are counting on you. You know, like when Aunt May is saying, you know, people stand in the rain to get a glimpse, someone to, to help them stay strong for themselves. Seeing someone else fighting their fight and, and out there battling, it inspires them to fight their fight and battle their battle. There, there could be people waiting on me to rise up from this and then they can say, maybe I can too. There are people waiting for you. They're waiting on you. They need you. You're the eggs to their butter and, and someone else's flour and, and all of these different things. And we need to come together to make this work or it's just not going to, it's not what we're looking for. It ain't going to be a cake. I don't know what it's going to be without the eggs, but it ain't going to be a cake, right? So that would be my recommendation. 
if I interpret what this quote is saying, if I, you know, stay in the lines of the movie's theme, um, you know, and when you kind of look at how Peter responds to it, he he's he's not very vocal about it. You can tell that that's something that he'll ponder from a, a, a cinematic standpoint. Obviously, it's meant to foreshadow him, you know, getting back in the costume, right? But if we just pretend like this isn't a movie, this is an actual thing that we're just looking at, he's he's probably taken those words and has begun to ponder his whole thing. You know, his his scene with Uncle Ben is also another, you know, emotional blow where when he quits being Spidey, he lets go or tries to let go of that original weight of responsibility, right? I think a lot of times we wish that we were in that position that Peter was in when he had his little, I can't even say it's a flashback because he obviously had some kind of emotional outer body experience type of thing or something to communicate with. Like he, he, he had to create this environment for himself, this imaginary environment to release whatever it is he needed to release. Right. And he tells him, I'm a Spider-Man no more. I'm Spider-Man no more. It's a rat. Right. And I think we, at a, a lot of times we wish that we could like, you know, kind of go somewhere emotionally and just be like, I'm not doing this anymore. <clears throat> I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. I don't know how I'm going to pay for that bill. I'm not, I don't, these kids are driving me nuts. She's still not home yet. I don't, I don't want to do this. This is, I'm out. You know, especially when you're deep down in it and it's like, I just cannot, I just, I cannot. That's difficult. And I think when you really, really look at it from that perspective too, you kind of realize that it's not easy, right? Because look at Peter in the in the picture. I mean, Uncle Ben is picture. In the scene, Uncle Ben has got he's got tears, but Peter's also like struggling. Like I I he doesn't want to let this go, but he feels like he has to let it go. And I think that's a difference. I think a lot of people don't necessarily want to give up. I think a lot of us, we prefer to fight through it and to get to the other side. And when we finally say we're done, we really that's really the last thing we want. You know, when you look at that, that scene, Peter is essentially severing ties with his uncle, right? The the lasting impression they got from his uncle was with great power comes great responsibility, right? Like that's the lasting impact that his uncle has on him. It's the last thing. And it's one of the most misused quotes, but whatever. It's one of the most used quotes and most well known quotes that you know we 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 spit out just randomly. And, uh, you know, so to see him make that disconnect and to sever that tie could not have been easy. Because, like, look at it from his perspective. The quote and his uncle go hand in hand. So for him, 
he felt like the only way to get rid of the quote and the job and the responsibility was to also get rid of his uncle. And I think sometimes for us, we feel like if we give up, that means we're giving up things that we don't want to give up. But we, we feel like these two things are tied. And in order to give up one thing, it would have to mean giving up something else that's near and dear to our heart, which we wouldn't want to do. Like, if someone wants to kill themselves, they don't want to. Like, they don't want that. That's the last thing on their mind. And the idea of leaving loved ones behind, sometimes it, it, it's the thought of it hurts them. And so some people don't do it because of that. Sometimes it's just the idea that I, I, I don't want to let this person go yet. There might be one or two people left, you know, that are like, I, I, if I suffer this, that would mean, have to mean to suffer that. And then you're, that's it. And that's an extreme example, but you know, like it, it can come down to different things like that, where a lot of, like I say, a lot of people that are giving up do not want to do it. <clears throat> so if you're talking to someone and you know that they, they're, they're verbally expressing that they want to give up and they're, they're just tired and exhausted. It only works for certain people, right? Some people need to hear, some people need to get slapped in the face and be like, no, don't give up. Stop it. Stab out of it. Some people need that. Other people need something to look forward to, which can be difficult because when you're in, when you're in that building that's collapsing around you and there are no exits, what really can you look at to look forward to? Right. And so like Peter at that dinner and, you know, all of these things are happening. And to top it off, he has to document it <laughs> like really, you know, and it's it's a situation where. What 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 positive can you really even if there are positives, are they really enough to overcome those negatives? So you. You know, it, it can be very difficult. But for those kinds of people, you need to explain to them that they are critical to what's happening. What needs to happen. What will happen. They are critical. Some people need to hear that they have purpose. <clears throat> But not just any old kind. Like you, you have to spell it out because it's it's too cliche to just say you have purpose. You almost have to, like the analogy that I used with light, right, or the baking or whatever it is. Make put it in their head, a form of how they can add, and how we we need you, buddy. Like we we need you. Because otherwise, how are we going to do this? And I think, uh, you know, when Aunt May talks about, you know, like even herself, like you've indirectly, right? And again, we don't know if she knows he's Spider-Man or not, but indirectly, she's telling him, you saved my life. I need you. 
I may not fully understand what you're dealing with and what you're going through, but I need you. You took the time to, to help me. And I appreciate that. And I don't want that, I don't want him to go away. I don't I don't want him to quit. He helped me, and I know he can help a bunch of other people. He can be useful to so many. You know, like whether this this person is really funny and like his comedy can bring so much laughter and joy to people. We need that. We need people that can draw. We need artists. I mean, art can come in so many forms other than drawing, but like, you know, we need artists. We need doctors. We, We need all kinds of different people. And... These things are our superpowers. And you, you look at like all of these heroes that are out here, right? Whether you were bitten by a spider or you created a suit for yourself, right? So you might have natural born gifts and superpowers, or you may have had to learn how to create these powers for yourself. And you know, Spidey is one of those hybrid ones who has some organic powers but also mechanical powers, right? So he lives in, in, in the land of both, which, again, a lot of people are. That makes him, once again, relatable. But whatever. You know, some people say that he's not interesting, but okay. And, you know, so when you, when you look at it from that perspective, you know, encourage people. What, what are you good at? What do you do? What do you like to do? Figure out your gifts. And in some ways, when you figure out your gift, you end up figuring out your calling. And when you figure out your calling, you have your purpose. And once that's all tied together, it doesn't happen overnight. You're not going to wake up the next morning and say, oh, I'm good. Let's go. But now you can start trying to make some kind of progress because you have a set thing. You have some form of an agenda, even if it's only one bullet point. That first bullet point is purpose. Maybe my purpose is to become a full-time writer, right? I've been working on a couple of certifications in the past year or two before, you know, things got a little tough and I had to put those things on hold. But, you know, you know, you, you got the books are published and all these different things. You know, that, that could be my thing. Maybe that's, you know, is that my calling? I don't know. Some people need to find out that they can write. So you have to dig that out of them. And when they can figure out that they can write, then it's like, okay, so this gift, is this is this my calling? Is this my purpose? There are a lot of people that are out here struggling emotionally from the inside and the outside. So even if you say, well, I have my purpose and such. They need a new environment. They need a new place to try to rebuild what may have been lost. Sometimes you can repair it. I'm not saying you can't. Sometimes you stay where you are and you, you get through it and you can repair the situation. Some people have to start over with a new, fresh thing. Sometimes it's the other way around. Sometimes the situation gets better but you're still stuck in a hole. 
So now even though things have improved, you can't even mentally comprehend or acknowledge it because you're so far down in the hole that you don't see the sunlight. If you're in a hole that's like, what? Perfect example, six feet, right? Six feet under. You're not under though, it's, it's still open. And you can easily see the sunlight and stuff. It's like, okay, I could, I could probably climb out. But some people are so deep in the hole. They can't even see the, 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 so, the darkness envelops any kind of light to be able to come through and reach you. Right? Sometimes it'd it, it be like that. And I think, you know, for those, you have to, to again... Change, not only change the environment, but give them purpose. Help them figure out what, help them figure out what kind of ingredient they are. Help them figure out what shade of light they are. Because that's the only way, that is the only way that you'll bring people back from the brink of giving up whatever it is they want to give up and quitting whatever it is they want to quit. Let your loved ones know what they bring to the table. There are other ways to talk about it. But in reference to the movie, emphasize what you bring to the table. Because people are watching you. And people are waiting on you. Whether they even know it or not. There are a lot of the citizens in New York that that probably, just like Aunt May, that probably did not like Spidey, that thought he was a menace, like JJ would always say on the news and Daily Bugle and stuff, right? But sometimes all it takes is that one interaction with you, and then it's like, I was wrong. You are important for me. You've changed my life. It could be just the one, one, one chance just one little pass by interaction and that that just radically changes the whole landscape everything's just different now so it may be tough to hear but sometimes the things we do we may never directly see the the the, the positive impact that you make we may we may never know what happened. The people that Peter saved on the train, the the future president could have been on that train. Someone could cure COVID thirty two. He's on that train. You know we got COVID nineteen. So I'm going into the future here, but you know, like it, we don't know. Just by us doing. What we're called to do can change the landscape of history. So, you know, sometimes when when you're in that dark place, you need to see something. And I think that is critical. But sometimes you might not. And that's where faith kind of comes in, where it's like, okay, well, I don't know who this is going to help. I may never know. But I got to stand on faith and belief that I am helping someone by getting out of bed or by going to work 
or by visiting this person or whatever it is. You will make a difference. That's how much power you have. You can change the world, right? You can. We all can. The world rolls the way that we roll. There's so many domino effects that occur. So many ways that one thing or the other can happen. And it's a lot of times it starts from one person. You know, when we look at like the great figures in history and things like that and how they rose to power or prominence or whatever it is, I bet you it started with one person. It took one person to start a sequence of events for whatever it is that we remember in the history books. And that that unsung hero, he's going to, we don't know his name. We don't know her name. We don't know how old they were. We don't know what nationality they were. We don't know anything about them. We just know what they did, what they what what they caused to occur. And, you know, I, one of the things I like about like modern technology, you know, social media and all of these different things is that it's a little easier to document the ground zero of history, right? And so hopefully we'll be able to document even more of how different things happen, which was nice. But, you know, way back then, they're not, they don't care about the little guy that was, you know, that he, he, and then even then, whether it's today, yesterday, or tomorrow, we don't pay attention to those sequence of events. This happened to that person, which happened to that person, which happened to that person, which happened to that person. Now that's Barack Obama, the president. Like, we don't, we don't know. We don't really follow those patterns. Because a lot of random stuff just happens, right? So it's all a long way of saying, put your costume back on. Go get your costume and put it on. Because we need you out there. We need you to swing around to give us inspiration to swing around just as well. That's what we need. That's that's what this whole thing is about. And that's... That's that storyline that was in... I mean, there was obviously other things going on in Spider-Man 2, but that is what I read in that storyline. Not the first time I watched the movie, but as the years have gone by and you pick up different things, that's something that I picked up on. And the thing about it is the last time I watched Spider-Man 2 was a while ago, but this, this little plush toy kind of Helped me connect the movie to to where I'm at right now and and to see what other people are dealing with. And so I I hope that this is helpful. We need you. I don't know who you are. And I'm taking my own leap of faith and believing that you yourself will be inspired by my words and, and it'll make a radical positive difference. And inspire you to do something that inspires someone else to do something that inspires someone else. We all got to hold on for each other. Because we, this is really cliche, and I hate them, 
But we really are all in this together. And we are all these shades of light. We are all of these ingredients to make this cake. I prefer pies, but it's whatever. I guess each his own. And in order to create this final product, we got we need each other. There's no way. We just need each other. There's no way around it. <clears throat> There's no way around it, right? The recipe calls for this. We have to have it or it will not be what it was supposed to be. It'll be a little different, but it won't be that, that, it's just that thing that it's supposed to be. It just will not be. So, that's it for the episode. Going to wrap it up here. I'm glad you stuck around. I'm, I'm happy. Uh, the hiatus is over. Um, so right now, my, my next step is I'm going to resume work on the uh, Spider-Woman week that I was trying to do. Um, and I have briefly, so briefly mentioned, like I had stuff going on. That's why I had to go on the hiatus. But, you know, one of the things that I found out for myself was that I needed to have an outlet that I enjoyed while dealing with all of the things that are going on. I ended up turning to this podcast as an outlet for me to, cause I, I just love talking about Spider-Man. I love the character. I love the story. I mostly love the movies and the shows and, and, and all of that. This brings me a lot of, you know, peace and joy just by recording these episodes. So maybe it was a mistake to cut off one of the few small things that, you know, because I thought I had to do that to focus, but now I realize here I am, right? So... Um, yeah, I'm going to be behind the scenes working on uh, the Spider-Woman week and trying to put that together. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I might, well, yeah, that, there might be a little surprise in store for that week in particular, um, but I don't want to put anything remotely specific, uh, you know. So we'll see. We'll see if the surprise occurs. Um, but... Like I said, thank you for listening. And, you know, it's funny how I end each episode with keep swinging. But I think more than ever, it is important to keep swinging. Don't stop swinging. We cannot stop swinging. And there are times where we have to pause. Right? We got to refill the web cartridges, you know, and we got to buy more web fluid stuff and all of that. That happens and we need time to recharge and, you know, whether it, whether we call it a mental health day or whatever it is, sometimes we got to go back and reload. But don't quit. Right? Don't stop. Keep swinging. Keep swinging because you never know what you're going to swing into and, and where you're going to be needed. So you got to always be on the ready. Always be on alert. Golly, I'm good. <laughs> that was good. All right. Okay, Double no, that was that was tight. Okay, bro. All right. Cool. Lighten up the mood a little bit. Um, like I said, that series is coming up. Um, hopefully within you know a couple of weeks or so. Um, and then... 
I don't know if I'm going to bring back the daily swing. Probably not. And at this point, uh, I might just go back to what I was doing before, which is when news breaks, I just immediately upload an episode. Um, I may or may not do a live uh, Spotify Green Room episode. If I do, it'll be like a trial thing, just to whatever, but nothing like significant and content. Um, like I said, I'm, I'm working on a couple of other surprises and, and things like that to try to shift the way that the podcast functions. Um, so I said it like three or four times already, but thanks for listening. Let's get to the outro and uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're good. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode. If you want more, make sure you follow my uh, podcast here on whatever platform you're listening to. I don't know where you're at, really. Um, And, you know, check out my website, delanel.com. And follow me on Twitter. I'll be tweeting Spider-Man stuff and 76ers stuff and other random stuff. Stuff, right? What is that wet fluid made out of anyway? Stuff? (laughs) Stuff. Thanks for listening. Keep swinking.